Hey, Real Talk podcast listeners, nobody can argue that Canada's got an affordable housing crisis. We've talked about it a lot in recent episodes. And the federal government says that it's considering cracking down on Airbnbs and other short-term rentals to try to address that problem. But is it a move in the right direction? I mean, what does this mean for current homeowners or real estate investors? We get into it in this episode of Real Talk. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. It's already October 6th. And uh, that means, Johnny, that coming up in Trash Talk, uh, which will wrap up this episode of Real Talk, it's how we wrap up every week, we do have the first leaf blower trash talk submission of the fall oh, season no. i think it was Lindsay, if i remember off the top of my head so Lindsay, you are well represented but it's it's a lot of like federal politics and trash talk today nice uh there's a lot of talk about pen not a lot but there's some talk about pensions there's some talk about coal mining in the eastern slopes of like we're, we are ready to rock and roll on trash talk today that's gonna wrap up the episode but we got a lot going on between now and then before we do anything i wanted to give a shout out to our real talk patreon uh, patrons these are our real talk patreon supporters if you check out our website you go to ryan jesper's Um, I'm showing it on my screen right now. For those of you joining us on YouTube, shout out to those of you on the podcast as well. You go to the Connect link, you click on Patreon, and then that's how you can find us. That's how you can support Real Talk as a patron. And uh, we come up with like special benefits and kind of behind-the-scenes stuff and cool little extras for you. And this week, we sent out a video. Johnny and I put a video together. Um, You know, a bit of a different look, kind of hanging out behind the scenes in the Real Talk studio. And that uh, also contains an offer. We've got something cool something on us something complimentary that we want to send to you if you are a real talk patron make sure you check your email uh, because katie our general manager at relay she's sending out these gifts over the next week or so right around the thanksgiving break we thought we wanted to say thanks early christmas show our thanks (laughs) yeah that's right well coming up (laughs) at christmas we'll do our uh our this will be our third annual uh, Real Talk patron, the VIP holiday Zoom party, which is always so much fun. The holiday mixer. The holiday mixer. <laughs> you and I basically drink mimosas, and yeah. uh, our coffees look a little creamier than usual. Oh. And we usually, I don't know what we had, we usually get, you know, 100, 200 people on the Zoom, and yeah. and people can ask questions, and we don't air it. We don't show it <laughs> no. publicly, so we have a little bit more fun. I mean, I think we have a lot of fun on the show anyway, but mm-hmm. but uh, that's coming up. So Real Talk patrons, check your email, and uh, make sure you reply to us with your mailing address so Katie can get you that special gift. One of the ways that we say thank you for your support. Mm-hmm. It's also uh, what allows us to be able to sort of upgrade our studio and stuff like that. So there's yeah. a lot of benefits to being a Real Talk patron, and we sure appreciate you. Speaking of early Christmas gifts, thank you to DQ for giving us our... <laughs> Can you believe it? Okay, I've never gotten a holiday gift card. I know they always come early, especially from businesses, but yeah. never in the first week of October. Never, never the first week of yeah. October. That's Ma- Michael Lieber, who owns the Sherwood <laughs> Park DQ. That's the one we tell you about on Baseline Road. Yeah. This isn't an ad, by the way. This Not is at all. Just, this is just, I just went for beers with Michael and with Mark Cardinal. The Cardinal family owns the other four, mm-hmm. Palisades de Mayo, Newcastle, and Westmount. Mm-hmm. I, I think I rattle those off in my sleep. People <laughs> come up to me and be one of my friends is like, why do you ever change up the order of the dairy? Why do you ever say like Westmount, Newcastle, Palisades? I'm like, yeah. well, yeah, it might be a bit of a brain buster. Yeah. But I was and chatting baseline with those guys. Road. I always have that in my head. Yeah, Baseline and Road. Baseline Road. You know, so they've just they just did their big <laughs> reno, right? Michael mm-hmm. overhauled that location and it looks beautiful now. It's did you know it's the fourth 
busiest, like this is based on revenue. It's the fourth busiest DQ in Canada. What? In Sherwood Park on Baseline Road. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So this is a DQ. They, they see a lot of action and, and we're thrilled when people come through. I said, because, you know, we, we always say, tell them Real Talk sent you. And yeah. I, go, I go, do people ever give shouts out to Real Talk or shouts out to you in the drive? He goes, he, they hear about it all the time. Their staff members say that there's Real Talkers yeah. going through the drive through giving them shouts out. So. Well, they're also a very organized team. Yeah. If, like you and like, I have if holiday they're getting their holiday gifts out in October. <laughs> Like, they must be, like, everything is dialed in over at DQ. I hope, I don't know if, if uh, your beautiful bride is watching this morning. If she is, I don't She wanna, always watches posts. Well, I don't, okay, so I don't want to spoil anything. So you're just going to cut this out of the episode then. I can. Um, What's ha- happening ha- here? Have you, uh, have you thought about, like, are you are you ahead of pace, oh, yeah. ahead of schedule? On I already Christmas know her gifts? main. You already know? Two gifts. This That's like, pretty good. We October always do, 6th? like, a main two things, like, you know, bigger gifts or whatever, and then little gifts. But I know... You well, one the of them I'll say in. right out because she knows she needs a new Apple Watch. It's like okay. it's on like its fourth year, yeah. and it starts to get slow, and then the updates don't do whatever. So she's getting a new Apple Watch, That's and then cool. I have another thing planned. Yeah. What's the sticker price on an Apple Watch these days? You are don't want to like, know. Are they like five hundred? Are they like fifty nine? They're uh, like five hundred bucks. They, they keep every time. They, they just keep, keep going. Every up. time I look, I'm like. It's the same watch. It does the same things. But she uses it a lot. Like, she likes to kind of be disconnected, text on there. Yeah. She uses the fitness app. She works out with it. She times her heart rate. She does all those things. So. Okay, they're, like, they're, not, they're not crazy. They're, I'm looking at them right now. They're like, but they're like everything else in this world. They're, they're $100, oh, but $200 there's different more. levels. There's, oh, yeah. There's ones for a grand. Now you've got, like, the luxury version, which I think is, like, over two. No, over yeah. two grand. There's some like really? if, if you click all the boxes. Oh, do you want what this? is Series want... Nine? The I mean, this is we're doing a big ad for Apple right now. And yeah, I think Nine is the yeah. something like that. So she's okay. on five right now. And then so I she's see pretty far back. They've got the uh, they've got the iPhone 15 out now. Whichever. So now I'm starting. And to I just feel... got a new phone, so it's like <laughs> <laughs> I just got the 14. I'm feeling and insecure my about one. my. Uh, <laughs> I'm feeling insecure about whatever mine is. I think it's the 13 Pro Max, and so I used to. You know, you know when you get like Pro Max when you get it. Oh yeah, yeah, but. Every time you get when it, when you get a new like, one, the new one's coming out, and it's got four things on the camera. And it can send an email, and then you feel like yours is like you don't care if you drop yours anymore. You're like, well, you're kind of hoping it cracks. So you right. get a new one. But I, I was thinking the biggest difference, and and this will be maybe a small issue or a non-issue for some people, a positive for others. But for me, I have uh, hesitations around it. Apple, I guess, was was it ordered by the Federal Competition Bureau in the U.S.? There was, I think, they were ordered to switch their charging from the Lightning charger, like the classic iPhone charger that everybody knows, to the uh, what's it called again? Not HDMI C, but USB C. I don't know USB-C. if they were ordered, but that's that's really the way the world's going right now. In so terms it's of technology like because the universal charger, right? Yeah. The thing with the USB C is you can put audio, video, pa- and it can send power all at the same time, right? Okay. So literally everything from PCs, Macs, everything is going to be USB C within like a year and a half. Here. So you're going to see absolutely everything is going to turn to USB C, and it can also like a, you can put an even higher like a lightning cable that can send high definition stuff. It, it so it is a good go thing is USB-C. what you're saying. Yeah, it's, See, it's universal. my thing is that we have some, you know, and this is older school stuff, but we have some things around the house where the lightning bolt, the, the, the lightning port is is what we use to, to like connect to like a speaker or connect to other music mm-hmm. sources or things like that. And now I'm thinking I'm going to have to redo all of that. And so I'm hesitant. I think this might be the first time that I'm not as eager to get a new iPhone. I'm going to be I cool do, rolling yeah. with the one I have now. I did. That's the only reason I'm like, damn, why did I get this phone now? Because I do want a phone 
with USB-C because then you can you can send anything through anything. Like you, you notice everything's turning into USB-C right now. But it's a good thing. It's I'd, a very I'd good be thing. I'm curious to know what like the hot items are for for the holidays this year and what people are thinking about or even if, if most people our are thinking about this holiday stuff right show now. here. The First real talk week of holiday October. show. Yeah, I don't know. It's just <laughs> Friday. This I don't know. Friday shows just always have a bit of, a bit of a different vibe, and and it's different when we come in here. You've always got some great music playing, and everybody's looking forward to the weekend, the Thanksgiving weekend as well. We'll let you know. Uh, we'll be taking the Monday with our families, so the first show back will be Tuesday. Tuesday's show is going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. Jana Pruden uh, will join us in studio from the Globe and Mail. One of the the most brilliant journalists in Canada. I absolutely love talking to her. She's got a new podcast coming out. It launches. Uh, she's going to join us on the day it launches, which is pretty cool. And then, of course, Charles Adler will join us as well. That's the uh, the first day back from the Thanksgiving break. That'll be the Tuesday of next week. Coming up in about a half an hour's time, we're going to be talking to student leaders uh, from the University of Lethbridge, University of Alberta, and Mount Royal University in Calgary about uh, sexual violence protection, gender-based violence uh, protection. Mm-hmm. They're looking at this is becoming a real issue on post-secondary campuses across the country. Mm-hmm. And so we'll be talking to three student leaders. Uh, they're demanding action on this. That's uh, a, a release uh, from the Council of Alberta University students, and we'll be talking about them. That's going to be our, our Real Talk roundtable that's coming up today. Um, we want to get to some news of the day. The government, I think, is about to open up a can Uh, A big can of worms. I'm not sure this is a great plan, but I'm going to get to that in just a second with you, Johnny. This will be kind of like our leadoff news story this morning. But I don't don't know if I'm going to have an unpopular opinion on this one. I'm not sure. The prime minister says that it might be time to limit Airbnb rentals. Yeah. To try to help with the affordable housing crisis. And I think that like a million people are about to blow a gasket on this one. Of course. So we'll get to that story in just a sec. But I want to let you know this episode of Real Talk is presented by our friends at Rello. You can find them online at Rello.ca. That's R-E-L-O. If you've been dreaming about starting a new career. We know a lot of you are because you write in to tell us as much. You get inspired by an interview or something you hear here on the show and it lights a fire underneath you. We're about to talk about housing and the housing market. Um, you know, maybe you're thinking about being your own boss. You want to run a thriving business. You'd love to leave cubicle life behind for good. If you want that plus unlimited earning potential, a career in real estate could be your perfect match. You can get started today by enrolling with Rello. It's Alberta's top real estate school, and they'll support you every step of the way, from studying for your exam to getting your license and more. Plus, with Rello, you study 100% online, which means it fits your schedule no matter what. And right now, there's a great offer for Real Talkers. You can save 20% off. That's a huge deal. 20% off any Rello course with the code REALTALK, all one word. That's REALTALK, the promo code at Rello.ca. Oh, nice tunes, by the way. Well, it's Friday. We're trying to shook up our uh, our, our uh, promo tunes a little bit, and I'm liking the direction that you took this in. So, get some energy in there. Right <laughs> there, there was none before, but thank God there was. Um, no, it's, it's okay. We we had a mellow start today. What was that playlist you had? It was it was kind of like an ad, like a mushroom jazz kind of a playlist going on. I yeah, think, so I used to nice. be I used to have like you know classic rock or like like a top forty playlist playing in here, but I've noticed we both. Kind of work better. I confided to you. I couldn't when stand it's like it. elevator music. Yeah, like jazz or morning cot, like where you're yeah. walking into a coffee yeah. shop or a cafe. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We see we were figuring it out. Yeah. like any good relationship, communication keeps you calm. Keeps you calm. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, Marika Walsh and Robert Fife uh, from the Globe and Mail. They do great work, oftentimes working together. And uh, just yesterday, just hours ago, they're reporting here that Ottawa is looking at uh, limiting 
the number of Airbnbs to free up rentals. Now, everybody knows that Canada's in the midst of a housing crisis. I mean, if you, if you look back to the, the, the Real Talk Roundtable that we had back on September 15th, this was our Real Talk Roundtable on housing uh, with Canada's first ever federal housing advocate, Marie-Jose Houle, uh, Jennifer Keysmatt, she's the former chief planner for Toronto. She's now a, a developer. And then former Calgary City Councilor Jeremy Farkas, who's doing a lot of consulting uh, on the affordable housing crisis across the country. They Great offered show. their solutions. I thought that was one of the best shows yeah. we've done in a long time. So if you didn't have a chance to do that, and if affordable housing uh, or the housing crisis is on your radar, check out that episode that was back on September 15th. Uh, you can check out the podcast or you'll find it on YouTube. So the federal government knows that this is basically job number one. Pierre Poliev is out fundraising, um, out motivating, out everything right now, the prime minister and the liberals. And so the liberals know they got to catch up. They got to do something. And so sources are suggesting that this is basically going to be the liberal playbook, that they're going to be dedicating and committing their resources to addressing the affordability crisis and the housing crisis. How? Well, per this story in the Globe and Mail, uh, the grits are planning to limit Airbnbs and they're going to be looking at municipalities to amend bylaws to make this happen. Uh, the plan is, or the hope is, that it's going to free up more rental units, and they hope that this will counter uh, Polyev's campaign to win over Canadians upset about the rising cost of living. So mm. uh, the plan was approved by Cabinet, so it sounds like it's a go back in August uh, to make housing affordability, cost of living, the central issues. Uh, but one of these initiatives, they're asking municipalities or inducing municipalities, which is a whole different thing, to limit the number of Airbnb units through bylaw changes to boost long-term rentals. Uh, now, they're looking at some communities, like the big cities, Vancouver, Toronto, uh, you know, Montreal, Calgary, let's throw Edmonton in there, but also communities where they, you know, they'll say uh, Banff, sure. uh, Whistler. That's exactly what I thought of when you said this. People that are working up there. Places where you can't really build more more housing at all like whistler band well, it's already overloaded staff, right like can't even live can't even afford to live exactly. there but if you own property <laughs> yes if you've invested in property mm -hmm. uh, you would assume to a certain degree i'm not talking about contravening zoning bylaw changes or things like that but if you own property you've invested in property the assumption is you can do within the law what you want with, your, with that property yeah. And there's probably a whole bunch of people that are enjoying success right now or that are planning on uh, working hard to enjoy the success that can come with short-term rentals mm -hmm. with Airbnb. I would suggest that this is going to go over like a lead balloon with a lot of people that will have a lot to say. Of course. They may be the vocal minority. Not everybody's owning second or third or fourth properties no. and running an Airbnb business. But if you are, this is government meddling with your investment. And I would bet that a lot of those people are going to say government's got to find different solutions that don't involve my property, my investment, my choice. That's always what it's like. And I said this during that roundtable well, after it. You're, you're either in one camp or the other. You're in one camp where you want housing prices to come down. You want things to be more affordable so you can afford to buy a home or a property. But then as soon as you buy it, you're in the other camp. And you don't want you want you want prices to go up. You want your investment to show promise, right? So that's the first thing. So I understand that that immediately you flip over. The second thing though is that th there are some people who own two. Like when you say limit, what does that mean? Like you can only have three, you can only have ten. I need to know more. Yeah. If so, it's like you can only have two, I think okay, that's maybe a little unfair. But saying someone can't have ten townhomes that they have as Airbnbs for weekend rentals, I don't know. I think that's. That's 
that's reasonable. I, I think those those smaller affordable homes need to go to families that need a place to live, right? Yeah, I mean, so this As, this is where you get into the issue of of like you know, whose job is it to solve a housing crisis? Most people would say, well, three levels of government have to work together with industry. Mm-hmm. That was kind of what Jennifer Keysmat brought to the table on our roundtable, right? She says, she says, you don't want governments, you don't want cities, and I agree with her. I mean, we, we see examples through Canada, across Canada, including right here in our home city of Edmonton, mm-hmm. the city center airport, this whole Blatchford debacle. You don't want cities, municipal governments involved in building. You just no. don't. They don't do a good job of it, and and uh, and and developers do build. Mm-hmm. You want developers doing the developing, so you need to have some cooperation there. But when it comes to retroactive legislation, new, new legislation that impacts people's past purchases and investments—that's the problem. This yeah. is where it gets to become a contentious issue. Now, I knew I teed this up and said, I wonder if I'm going to be on an island here on this one. I wonder if this is something that most people will disagree with. I'm not sure, but I look at the live chat right now. It's booming. Good morning to all of you. It's great to see you here. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, Sylvia is sh- shouting out my sheepdog's hood, uh, sweatshirt. <laughs> Thank you, Sylvia. One of the best bands in Canadian history. Underrated. I'll let you look for one sec. One thing I'll say is, like, what if the Sandman or Hyatt or a company like that said, hey, instead of having 150 rooms in a hotel, we're just going to buy 150 homes in Edmonton? And Airbnb them. That's yeah. the problem that I well, see. Well, it's great if you're a homeowner yeah, but looking it's not, to sell, It's right? not great. Like, that doesn't seem fair to me, right? If, if you're, you know, uh, you know, a normal person with who saved up money and bought one or two or three properties, I get it. That seems unfair. After owning them for 10, 15 years, that retroactively some implementation comes on you that sucks. I love but, this from... Oh, go ahead. But, but I was just saying, like, if a company... that It leaves the door open for... And I don't think that's the other thing with the retroactive stuff. Nobody saw this coming. Nobody saw that, you know, all these short-term rentals. Nobody saw Airbnb coming 10, 15, 20 years ago. Well, you right? remember so the hotel lobby, the hotel associations were Hated pissed. it too, right? Um, and then I think they were placated to a certain degree because in, in most jurisdictions, um, a hospitality tax or like a hotel tax was imposed on Airbnb rentals, whereas before they were getting away with it. Mm. And then I think as long as the, the playing field is even – I mean, I, there's there's no way. I mean, there's there's no ifs and ends or buts about it. Like the hotel industry was hurt by short term rentals by mm-hmm. Airbnb's. Absolutely, period. Just like the taxi industry was hurt by you know the different car services. You know, Uber being predominant, but sure. others as well. Did you see that Lyft story out of the states? By the way, I was just of the guy who took morning. off with the the other guy's cat in the car. Yeah. The Lyft this guy leaves his cat in the car. Not his brought. He was taking the cat to the vet. I promise we'll get back on track. He gets out one door of the car. He's coming around to the other door of the car to get out the cat carrier, the little kennel thing, to take this cat, the sick cat, to the vet. And the Lyft driver just takes off. So Buddy starts messaging the Lyft driver on the app as best he can, Mm -hmm. but you're limited to three messages after a ride. Mm -hmm. So he messages the guy three times. He's like, please come back. Why did you take – you have my cat. My cat is sick. I need my cat. Please. Long story. goes on and on and on. He's appealing to Lyft. He's trying to call the driver. The driver finally responds to him, like, hours later. is like, I don't have your cat. And the guy's like, well, the cat was in the car. You do have my cat. Anyway, this guy takes it and starts screen-grabbing his correspondence with Lyft because the Lyft PR team or, like, whatever, the customer service team is saying to him, you know, we can understand your frustration. This guy's and he's family just, like, member. Blowing a t- I would this be guy's losing. I would be losing it, especially because your animal's nervous yeah. and, in a, and confined and in the back of a cab. 
It was in some major U.S. city. I don't remember where. And uh, anyway, so Buddy starts screen grabbing and posting. Here's what Lyft is telling me. Lyft says, Lyft first offers a $20 ride credit. <laughs> okay? So, so bad. Give this me guy, my cash. This guy's... This guy's tweets start going viral to the, t- I mean, I'm talking tens of thousands of people are retweeting it. The CEO of Lyft starts getting into the chat and replying to some of the people on Twitter. Like, this is what a nightmare this was. Mm-hmm. What an absolutely bonkers situation. I see now that the, the CEO has apologized for well, its yeah. awful response. But like, you know what I appreciate? <clears throat> Does it say what that CEO's name is? I appreciate when when a corporate leader or when a leader of any it could be a community leader it could be a principal of a school when somebody just stares into the camera or looks somebody in the face and says yeah our response was terrible I'm sorry I really appreciate that I actually do too that diffuses a situation David Risher to a certain name. degree yeah, when someone like David Risher just you know I saw one tweet where someone said Lyft's response has been deplorable and he said I agree yeah when you're like when you own it when you suck it up yeah I I agree that. Not for. I mean, it doesn't. Everything f- you've fix done. It. No, no. But like to just own it instead it of being like, it. well, you know, the communication yeah. was blah, blah. It's, instead of just being like, we fucked up. Yeah. So Lyft and Uber, they disrupt the taxi industry. We know that changes will come. So, you know, in the housing crisis, government's got to do something. But is this the right move? Limiting Airbnb rentals. Uh, you never know who's listening to or watching Real Talk. I love this. Gilles is in the chat. He says, this discussion is perfect for my marketing class. I saw that. About our obsession with consumerism. <laughs> I love that, Gilles. I don't know if it's an obsession with consumerism. Maybe it is, Gilles. And you know more about this than me. Um, maybe we'll keep an eye on the chat to see if he chimes back in. Mm. But I but I would say that, that this generation, that the youngest generation now, Gen Z. This generation. Well, so they say. The youngins. They don't care really about homeownership. And-, and I don't know that it's that they don't care about homeownership because they just inherently don't care. Or maybe they I think just it's see out it, of their reach. They see it as so far out of their Dude, reach. It's like, it's not something they think about. I'm not even young anymore, and we're trying. We're trying in the next year to buy a home, Buddy, and you're it's, gonna I'm one. like, oh come on, you're gonna get a big acreage. I just know it. Are you kidding me? But you know, maybe the maybe the Sandman will will buy up 150 new homes in Edmonton and turn them into Airbnbs, and then we'll be screwed. For a lot of people, <laughs> this is like it, it, I don't know if it's consumerism. Uh, Gilles could clarify, but for me, this is investment for people. These are people's. You know, people look at their homes or their revenue or rental properties as like their biggest investment. It's their nest egg. A hundred percent. And when you and start to kind of mess with that, and this is where you lose sympathy. This is where, <laughs> and, and Real Talk does not endeavor to divide the nation into two. That is not our plan. We never try to divide. No. We never try to divide a population. But you've got the people that own homes <laughs> that want to have the value of those homes preserved. We'd and just, then you've got people trying, two camps. yeah, trying to own homes that that want an attainable entry point. But as soon as you price. buy a home, you flip to the other group, and of you're like, "No, you I want rates to go up. I want everything to keep going up. I want my investment to succeed." But here's the problem: like, no, do I do I think someone who bought a home in Whistler in 1980 and is now Airbnbing it out to Australians who are coming over and snowboarding and and making return on their investment so they can retire is a problem? No. But do you think everyone who owns a home or a chalet in Whistler has has lived there? There's some people who have never even lived in Whistler who have just bought a property and are charging an exorbitant, maybe they renovated it or yeah. whatever, and they're just charging a crazy amount for people to go there on Christmas vacation. Yeah, if you start talking, and you use the phrase foreign ownership, and then mm, it gets people all Don't like it, especially in BC. Up. But, well, 
And BC and Vancouver has tried other things. I mean, Vancouver's had rent controls in place for years. Uh, my brother told me, I'm trying to remember what the percentage is, but I think his rent, my brother's rented the same place for like 25 years, Kyle has. Uh, he and his wife, Lindsay, and and uh, I think their their rent is only allowed to go up by 2% a year. Maybe it's 2.5% a year, and every year they just expect that. It's going up, too. It's going up, too. It's going up, too. But if it didn't, these property owners would be cranking up Vancouver rents by, like, 50%, uh, and they'd still be getting them from someone. So, uh, yeah, we got a lot of people sharing their different thoughts on this. Tony says Airbnbs definitely need to be regulated to stop property management companies from buying multiple properties and renting them out as Airbnbs. That's what Johnny's talking about. Um, you know, final buzzer says, well, the PM's not campaigning for two years. So yeah, maybe not an election for two. He's, you're always campaigning, right? Um, Kit bomb says, why are we accept, accepting the opposition? The conservatives campaigning for four years while doing nothing while the current government does actual business. I mean, that's just how politics work, <laughs> right? The government governs the opposition opposes. It's way easier to oppose than to govern. That's why we always tell you. When a political candidate or when door knockers show up when at your house. When they're coming up, it's crazy. Ask, well, ask what your plan is. <laughs> ask them what the plan is. And a lot of people are thinking that right now, and we were talking about what could happen in Ontario, if this is true, that Ontario's premier is being investigated, that there's an, a police investigation. People are using words like racketeering. People are talking about charges maybe being laid. <laughs> uh, people are talking about tectonic shifts at the federal political level maybe a change in leadership for the federal liberals. I'll believe it when I see it, but it's definitely possible. Um, and then all of a sudden you get into a situation like that where the liberals have a new leader. This is a hypothetical. Let's say the liberals have a new leader. It's like, let's say, Christian Freeland or, or whoever, Mark Carney or whatever. Then all of a sudden, all this fuck Trudeau stuff, Right, all the all the hating on Trudeau, the piling on Trudeau, the the the, the maximizing the the strong emotions that a lot of people have against Justin Trudeau, that card is gone. You can't play that card anymore mm-hmm. as the official opposition, and you get you that's get, why you, like Pierre coming up is hot. Look. Well, Pierre coming he's up, he's got the, he's got the digs, he's got the quick people replies. People start saying, "What's your exactly plan? when Trudeau's not there and he's just standing there and there's no one in front of him to attack." That's yeah. when I think things will get. A little different. Dr. Bradley Martin's in our chat. He says, bang on, Johnny. He says, Canadians themselves are, are kind of two-faced about this issue. We all want affordable housing for everybody, but nobody wants their house to be worth less, or at least, you know, they don't want the stuff happening in their neighborhood. And he's mm-hmm. right. Brad's right. I think the worst part is, like, it's... The housing thing has so many layers, so many people involved. Like you said, you can't just, like, call a government official and be like, lower housing rates or yeah. lower, you know, well, like, make things a, more it's affordable. It's like getting people to mess with markets it's horrible yeah so i I honestly don't see a way out i think it's just we're gonna have to live with it and it's just yeah michael says what about our paradigm switching from houses being an investment to houses being a place to live he says it's a really interesting conversation to have Uh, there's a realtor that i follow uh, on twitter and her name's escaping me right now she's super sharp but she she talks about this all the time is like you know people you become obsessed with looking at your house, like Michael said in the chat, as an investment. But like the, the number one thing you want to be looking at it as is like, this is your home. This is your house. This is a place to live. All of the finances and all of the implications and everything that comes with a new mortgage or with a purchase, 
should be viewed, and it may be easier said than done, but but viewed and perceived and looked at as this is your home. This is where you're going to live. So many people look at it as an investment. And so if the market dips a little bit or if interest rates go up a little bit or if there's a change in the, the fiscal or economic landscape around it, a lot of people lose their minds because they're thinking of it as an investment, which you want it to be because we've been conditioned for it to be that way, right? A lot of people say it's your number one investment. Yeah. Some, some people will swear by it. One well, of my buddy's dads. That's what happened dads, in 2008. He, you had all these people who if he could do it all over again, he says, I would never buy a single stock. He said, I would only invest in real estate. Yeah. And this is a guy who's done really well. But Michael's right. I like that he used the word paradigm shift because a lot of people have changed their mindset to start looking, and it sounds obvious, but to start looking at houses as a place to live. That's what they should be. This is why 2008 happened, the housing crash. You had all these people who had like seven, eight, nine, ten properties, and then all of a sudden they couldn't afford to pay the piper, right? And that happened over and over and over, and everything just collapsed. So, yeah. like, yeah. I don't I don't know. I want to see more on what you're saying. I want to say, like, what is the limit? You can only have three properties, five properties, I don't ten know what properties, the limit a dozen is, properties. But I just, I, I don't know. I mean, I, and, and you can it's only different... have a certain amount of money invested in property. I need to know. By the way, Gilles wants to follow up his mark. He said, this is great for our marketing. Com-. He said that comment was related to the iPhone stuff, not that he says housing's a whole other discussion. <laughs> so fair enough. Um, but yeah, Gilles, you're right. Everybody wants the newest and the best. Um, but but it's it's probably one thing. I, uh, Sharon said earlier in the chat, I saw her comment. She said, if somebody has 185 Airbnb properties, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, let me say, and, and Sharon's been on the show. She's so great. Uh, and it's okay for us to disagree. Person, that's not but, a person. That's a company. But that's I don't know. Like a, yeah, but also, like, is, is it a problem? Is it inherently a problem if somebody owns 180 is it a problem if somebody owns 185 dqs is it a problem if somebody owns 185 car dealerships like is that a why is that a problem i mean it's not a problem it just doesn't feel right like why not buy the whole town and turn the whole town into rentals i know but we can't start we can't start (laughs) legislating on well gosh am i about to walk into this bear trap but on what when we're talking about market controls and when we're talking about the, the national economy we're talking about how can we go with what feels right? I don't know. It just sounds to me to be too subjective. Mm. Now, people are saying I saw one from Ken who says we tax and regulate property for all kinds of reasons to ensure neighborhoods are livable. There should be no expectation that short term rentals won't be zoned, regulated or taxed to that end. Ken, 100 percent agree. My thing is like I just I would be very interested to see the response if the prime minister, if the federal government were to actually implement limitations on short-term rentals that had an impact on people's bottom lines based on their investments. I think like everybody wants to see the housing crisis solved, but nobody wants to see it solved on their back. Of course. You know, nobody wants to see it solved at their expense. Hey, we got a round table. They're here. Let's go. Yeah, buddy. I'm looking forward to this. You can let us know what you think. Hey, maybe we keep an eye on our inbox and if somebody fires off a trash talk about Airbnbs and housing. I wonder if we can fit it into this edition of it. I bet you we could. Listen, these conversations don't happen without the support of our sponsors like the DQs of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. And this weekend is a great time to check out the sauced and tossed honey garlic chicken strip basket. Wasn't that your nickname in college? No, Johnny, I already used this joke earlier in the week. (laughs) This is what they used to call Johnny. Don't even try to turn it around. When Johnny was just starting his DJ career and he was working late night in the clubs, you could always see Mr. Sauced and Tossed. He'd show up, 
He'd start spinning a few records, he'd get sauced, and then sure enough, he'd get tossed. That was Johnny Infamous, Edmonton's best DJ. But the one thing they never did, Johnny, was use the saucing technique on you to make sure that you were completely covered in mouth. This is going so off the rails. Can we just stop? We're going to get an email from the owners saying, would you mind just talking about the chicken? The image of Johnny in honey garlic sauce is just It's just not what we're looking for. I'm picturing you in a hot tub full of honey garlic sauce. You won't find chicken strips like this anywhere else. 100% seasoned all-white meat chicken strips, sweet and savory honey garlic sauce, tossed to perfection. You can get the four-piece or six-piece basket. Don't get the four-piece. Come on now. You can order these at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and, and Baseline Park Road. At Baseline Road. <laughs> Our friends at Grand Dog Essentials, quality raw food. I love this. So I'm out walking Moses just the other day around the neighborhood, and what do I see? The Grand Dog delivery truck pulling up to our house. I love it. You know, they deliver right to your door in Calgary, in Edmonton, and in central Alberta. And one of the best parts about dealing with the Grand Dog team, they're family owned. And so if you've got an issue, they are on it. Now, our dog's needs have changed over the years. As Moses has aged, he's had some joint and and, and spine issues, and we've adjusted his diet to accommodate. We've also looked into some of the supplements that they have under the Shop Now link at granddog.ca. Some great deals if, you, if your pet is obese, if your pet has issues with their coat or with allergies. There's a whole bunch of things. Joint support, for example. And right now through the month of October, you can take 16 bucks off each box of their chicken veggie dog food blend using the discount code October 2023. This is whole chicken sourced from Alberta farmers, human-grade facilities, blended with vegetables. They keep the meat, the bone, the organs all in there to provide a solid foundation of a raw diet. You can learn more at granddog.ca. Don't forget, order with the promo code REALTALK and they'll knock 10% off your first-time order. We're going to be talking to University of Alberta students in uh, in just about, well, one University of Alberta student, university students in just a second Uh, But I wanted to take, before we get to that, a second to talk to you about the upcoming University of Alberta Alumni Awards. I mean, U of A alumni are pushing the limits of what's possible. And the 2023 Alumni Awards is ready to honor the outstanding achievements of 30 University of Alberta graduates, including Dr. Dina Hinshaw, by the way. From breakthroughs in surgery to revolutionizing Canada's investment landscape, these leaders have turned passion into purpose, creating positive change and benefit for all. You can get inspired yourself, delve into their incredible triumphs, and learn how they're leaving a lasting mark on the world. If you want to be part of this event, we encourage you to check out UAB ca slash alumni 23 to see this year's change makers that's uab.ca slash alumni 23 to check out the change makers that's the university of alberta alumni awards coming up you can learn more uh, the ceremony at the citadel on october 25th by visiting them online and one more shout out to the university of alberta we have been utilizing this program we ourselves as a business at relay and i wanted to tell you about this there is no catch here okay what we're about to tell you about right now there is no catch this is a free program for small businesses that need to power up their digital presence okay so you own a small business but you know you need to do better you know you could do better on marketing you could do better with your social media you could do better with your website whatever it is 
The initiative here is the Digital Economy Program. It is without charge. There's no catch. I really want to stress this. It's completely free. A program that helps build the online presence of small businesses in Edmonton and the metro capital region. Uh, Registered businesses in the province of Alberta with fewer than 49 employees are eligible for the program. So you get to work with U of A business students. They become your consultants. They help you boost your digital literacy, uh, creating Google profiles, building a Shopify or Etsy e-commerce website, even setting up Facebook ads. Whatever it is, they can help you. This is funded by the government of Alberta in partnership with Business Link, Digital Main Street, and the University of Alberta. The program runs until October 1st of next year for more information again it's free there is no reason to not reach out and participate in this go to yourdep.ca that's your dep digital economy program yourdep.ca when we talk about post-secondary institutions post-secondary schools one of the harsh realities the difficult realities is that campuses just aren't safe And student unions and student leaders from across the country are stepping up to demand action on sexual violence protection and prevention. Uh, We're speaking to three of those leaders today as part of our Real Talk Roundtable, and we appreciate them making themselves available. Chris Beasley is joining us from the University of Alberta. Prabhjit Graywall is joining us from Mount Royal University down in Calgary. And Rochelle Preston is joining us from the University of Lethbridge. Uh, A wonderful morning to the three of you. Thanks for joining us. We know it's difficult subject matter, but incredibly important subject matter. Uh, Rochelle, uh, chiming in from Lethbridge, it's great to have you here on the show from from, uh, that southern Alberta region. How is this reality manifesting itself down in Lethbridge. What are you seeing down there? What are your fellow students telling you about? What do people need to know? Yeah, absolutely. So down here in Lethbridge, um, especially at the University of Lethbridge, we are very lucky as we're one of the only, I believe the only post-secondary institution in Alberta that has mandatory sexual and gender-based violence prevention training for our students. Um, they have to they have to engage in this training before they can register in classes when they're accepted as new students. And so um, our culture on campus has been very open to learning about consult, consult culture, consent culture, working with our sexual and gender-based violence prevention coordinator, all of these things. Um, but ultimately, our students still recognize that there's a need um, that's being unmet and that these things are still occurring. And they're they're really pushing us as student leaders to push other folks to sort of make the change happen and come to our campus. Wow. Is that a, is that a relatively new requirement? Is that a relatively new program? Uh, yeah, it is pretty new. The The work has been in place for a few years. It became mandatory um, last year. So last year in the fall of 2022, they ran a huge campaign, made students um, participate in this training, and they had to have it finished by March 1st in order to register for fall of this year. And now any new student who's accepted to the University of Lethbridge has to also participate in the training before they can register for classes. Prabhji, what's the reality down at the Mount Royal University in Calgary? Let's let's check in with uh, Calgary right now. Welcome to the show. Uh, th- yeah, thank you for having uh, us here today. And uh, Mount Royal University currently has uh, some uh, issues regarding their sexual assault center on campus. 
uh, as we right before the school year started and the red zone began, uh, we lost our coordinators. So we are currently working on internal advocacy to try to get uh, that up and running again. We definitely need uh, additional funding to create a better uh, system uh, at our university, just because one person cannot handle uh, this issue alone. This is a drastic issue, especially during the first uh, six weeks on campus and especially during our peak seasons of like various different festivals and events that take place on campus. Okay, that's an interesting point. We'll revisit that point. Um, Chris, joining us from the University of Alberta, welcome to the show. The numbers are staggering. Um, I'm citing numbers uh, released uh, from a, uh, this is a sexual and gender-based violence in Alberta post-secondary education report. Um, the Council of Alberta University students making these numbers available by way of a public release since attending their post-secondary institution, half, 50% of all students have reported experiencing some form of sexual or gender-based violence. Half of those, 50% who have experienced that, 14% of women have experienced sexual assault, 11% of women, more than 1 in 10, have experienced intimate partner violence, and less than half of students, 47%, believe that there are supports available for these students these these numbers are grim chris to say the least yeah i mean the numbers are absolutely staggering and the saddest thing about it for all student leaders is that we expected them we saw it coming uh i've been at the university for quite a few years now most of my fellow student leaders have been as well and we hear those stories we see them represented in our community like i'm a i'm a queer man um some of the statistics about how 74 percent of all queer students experience um, harassment or assault during their time at university reflects what i see in my community reflects what people confide in me and what they tell me and so really what we're doing now is we're standing on the shoulders of those who came before us. The survey was ran because a few years ago, student leaders stepped up and we went to the Ministry of Advanced Education, Minister Nicolaitis at the time, and we asked for help. We said that this was something that we knew that we needed. And the ministry said that they needed to run this survey, that they needed to get this data. And so we have the data now, and now we're back in those conversations with the new Ministry of Advanced Education under Rajan Sani um, to see what the next steps are gonna be and where we can kind of get funding and support so that our institutions that can't handle this crisis on their own um, can move the needle on some of these numbers so that we can get this down as low as possible because even having any students go through that pain and that trauma is too much for our communities so rochelle like is is this a, a new issue is this like the new generation or is this just always been this way but now we're paying closer attention to it I think that we've entered sort of an era of student leaders and, and student movement and mobilization where we've recognized that the the voices of us united can really make change. And so I think that we, as Chris has said, like we're standing on the shoulders of those that came before us on this issue. We, we've we been aware of it and we are now um, taking the chance and using our voices to make the, the government more aware of it, to make those external stakeholders more aware of it. So I wouldn't say it's a new issue by any means, but I think the fact, the work that we're doing has seen the uptake that it has because of the number of students who truly believe in solving this issue now and, and the era that we are in of student leaders. So do we start talking like at Mount Royal University? <clears throat> let's let's re let's return Prabhuji, to talking about like events and things like that and festivals. And, um, you know, are, are we talking about, uh, I, OK, you guys can tell I'm hesitating to ask the question. Let me let me take you through my mental process right now, because we understand what stories about sexual assault and then people start talking about alcohol uh, or things like that. Um, we're not giving a pass to anybody. 
we're not blaming it on alcohol, but alcohol is a contributing factor. We have to address that. Are we talking about, you know, limiting alcohol intake? Are we talking about safe walk programs? Are we talking about better education around respecting students? Like, where does that conversation start in the context of festivals, events, student gatherings, parties, and the like? Yeah. Uh, Stuff like safe walk and other uh, harm reduction methods like having more cameras or uh, lighting up hallways more are good solutions for the short term. But our long term solution is for us uh, to have government support in order to have a more coordinated consent awareness campaign. If we increase consent awareness within our students, we can prevent these uh, issues happening right at the core because then if there is a good consent culture, people can drink freely without worrying about being harmed at a party right. and actually enjoy their night. Yeah, right. I mean, you, you've hit the nail on the head. Like the problem is not that the hall that the hallways are dark. The problem is that somebody in the dark hallway doesn't respect the other human being coming down the dark hallway. Right, Chris? I mean, like, is it, that's kind of where the conversation needs to be. Is the conversation there? Like, do you think that there's an awareness uh, when you look around the campus, I mean, do people talk about that? Is this something that's on the average student's radar? So it's the question becomes like an awareness for who, right? So we have a great policy system. So the uh, initiatives that were pursued by Minister Nicolades when Minister Nicolades ran the advanced education portfolio made us all policy leaders at our various institutions when the province showed leadership on this issue. The question becomes, and the stopgap that we need is funding now to be able to actually change the consent culture on campuses. Because again, even reflected in that story, uh, sorry, even reflected in that report, 9% of all respondents believe that people who are sexually assaulted when they're drunk or high are somewhat responsible for putting themselves in that position. And so how do we get that number down to zero or down to 1% or down as low as possible? So that to Prabhjit's point, you can go to a party uh, and there can be 200, 300, 400 people there and not be like, oh my God, 20 or 30 of these people think that um, if I'm sexually assaulted tonight, that it's because I got drunk or high. And that conversation revolves around culture change. And culture change is harder achieved than imagined. And usually the things that actually change culture require funding. You need money to put up posters. You need money to pay staff to run those projects. You need money to be able to run the kind of con like mandatory consent training that Rochelle was talking about at the University of Lethbridge. And that's the stopgap. We have so many universities that have undergone so many cuts and they have incredible people working for them. And there are incredibly people working at the Ministry of Advanced Education who know the policies and know what needs to be done. But then when it comes to translating that policy out and actually changing hearts and minds on campus, the stopgap and the problem and the bottleneck is around whether that funding is there. And I think that funding needs to come from the ministry because otherwise it's students talking to every single one of the 26 post-secondary institutions and asking them to allocate that funding individually. And maybe that works for some institutions. Maybe the U of A allocates that funding and we get consent training on the U of A campus. But what happens to the other 25? I think this is a ministerial issue and I think this is a province-wide issue. Uh, Rochelle, I'll credit our live chat, our viewers right now on YouTube for putting the story on our radar. I'm just seeing this. I'm citing reporting by the Calgary Herald uh, at Chinook High School in Lethbridge. Uh, football activities have been suspended. I'm not sure if you saw this story. Um, as players are being investigated for sexual assault, uh, Lethbridge police investigating an alleged locker room sexual assault of a 16-year-old student, which involved players of the local Chinook High School football team. Uh, police say that the incident occurred Tuesday of this week at Chinook High School in a locker room after regular school hours. The subjects and victim known to one another uh, say the Lethbridge Police Service, who have not yet laid charges, this was not a random incident, uh, sort of reiterates, I suppose, 
the, the idea that maybe we don't wait until post-secondary. Maybe we don't wait till college or university to start talking to kids about consent. Um, are university leaders, you know, post-secondary student leaders like the three of you, or shall we go to you first? Are you starting to look at, at students younger than university age? I mean, is this a conversation that starts? I mean, gosh, can I just say we've been talking a lot about sexual education on this show because of the 1 million March for children and the parents' rights things, and a lot of parents want to know more what's being taught in sex ed, and then you hear that consent is being taught in grade two or three, and some people twist it and mangle that conversation to make it sound like they're teaching grade two and grade threes how to have sex, which they're not, but they're teaching kids about their body and and who has ownership of their body. It's them, and who can touch their body? Nobody, and, you know, that sort of stuff. I mean, it sounds to me like we need to maybe be talking about more fulsome conversations starting at a very young age so that by the time students get to college and university, they've got a very clear understanding. Would you agree? Yeah, I think that um, that's obviously a goal, but we also have to recognize that our students are coming from outside of the province. They're coming from outside of the country, things of those sorts. And so in order for our campus to really see a shift in the culture to really be a safe space, we have to have everybody on the same entry level. So if they're coming to our campus and all required to engage in this training right then and there, then there's the expectation that like, we don't have to rely on what you learned in elementary or junior high or high school because you're coming here and you're learning it and you're doing it now. Um, and so that's where our focus is, is if we can make that baseline so that all students have to engage in this the moment they step foot on our campus, we can see the movement sort of shift as a whole versus then just relying on what they engaged in prior to coming to university. Chris, are you getting a sense that, uh, like, you know, there, there's the comment earlier in this roundtable about, you know, building on the work of the people that have come before you and all that kind of stuff. How Are you able to, in a, in a, in a general context, describe how the university campus experience or how the post-secondary student experience may be different present day as opposed to 10 or 20 or 30 years ago? I know you weren't walking planet Earth 30 years ago, but I, but I know you're obviously very involved in student governance and you have a good sense of what's changed and maybe what hasn't. How is it different today? So I think we do need to recognize that it's gotten better. Um, I think that does like justice to the people that were fighting this 30 years ago, 20 years ago, and 10 years ago, where we weren't even talking about these issues whatsoever. And so the fact that the University of Alberta, for instance, was able to hire a sexual violence prevention coordinator um, a few years ago is, again, a sign that it's getting better. Um, the question becomes how slow is still too slow for us? Because right now what we're looking at is four years ago, students were starting the call on sexual violence or at least bringing it up. Um, the Council of Alberta University students wrote a research paper and issued a number of recommendations to the provincial government back in 2020 um, on a lot of what we were seeing in our campuses. We did a survey and we did like a kind of a, a climate survey of what all of our campuses looked like, looking at all the different resources that we had on each of the campuses and PSIs in Alberta. And we put that forward as recommendations to the government of Alberta. Um, and the government of Alberta, to their credit, under Minister Nicolaitis, ran this survey because we did that work and because we did that research. Um, and now we're three years on, right? It took a year and a half to run that survey. And what I think students are starting to struggle with and students feel really, really just, just it's, it's, it's so personal and then they feel it in their core, is that they might have started their degree 
watching these calls for funding and watching these calls for support from the provincial government. And now they're coming up on the ends of their degrees. And they're still watching these same conversations be rehashed about this being a province-wide issue, about this being something that we need provincial leadership for all 26 PSIs. And they're looking for the ministry to be able to move in that direction. Love this from Sylvia, who just says, this is a great panel. I mean, it is, you know what I love about talking to relatively young people um, in positions of student leadership is that this is clicking with you guys early, right? I mean, you're at, you're, at, you're at the outset of your careers. You're getting ready. I mean, I like to refer to it as not as the leaders of tomorrow. I like to say the leaders of today and tomorrow. But when we look at these numbers, and I should mention for our audience's benefit that this survey, the results that the three of you are presenting to our audience, you had 13 thousand students respond to this survey that's wild uh and and it also reiterates the importance of addressing this and taking it seriously because if if half of thirteen thousand respondents are telling us that they've experienced sexual or gender-based violence as part of their campus experience and half of those people say that they don't feel like there's appropriate supports we've got a real issue on our hands now probably you open your conversation you open your comments on the show today by telling us that that Maybe they're in a bit of a wind wobble at Mount Royal University because you've lost some leadership. You're trying to get that program back on track. You're trying to make sure that students have the supports that they need. What do appropriate supports look like? Uh, yeah, uh, the appropriate supports that uh, we've been imploring are for from the government, at least, is uh, including more funding for like campus-based sexual assault centers. Uh, and then also, as I've mentioned before, supporting a joint effort with universities to build like a consent awareness campaign and uh, also creating a working group where uh, students, uh, faculty members and community advocates can get together and discuss this issue and find solutions on uh, how to prevent this further and how to reduce that number from 50% down to hopefully zero percent in the near future i i would like to see that number go all the way down but that can't happen if the government isn't going to put that step forward in order to uh, collaborate with our universities collaborate with our student unions and student associations and with other community uh, stakeholders do you get the sense chris that the that the government is taking this seriously like you you mentioned minister sani uh, are, 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 are you at this point satisfied? I, I know that's a loaded word to use when you ask someone who's, who's got a big ask in front of government if they're satisfied. Typically, they'll say no. Uh, but um, do you get the sense that the government shares your sense of urgency on this? I think, of course, the government knows this is a big issue. I mean, that's why the government and the same policy staff that put forward all those policy recommendations and got all Alberta universities up to the point where they were a leader in policy, um, that obviously remains a priority for them. The question becomes now, we're working out the, the degree of scope between, obviously, this is an issue that requires multiple parts, right? The institutions have a hand in this, institutions have a hand in service delivery, and the government has a hand in leading institutions and giving institutions the funds that they can deliver those services adequately. And so I think the ministry is watching now where that balance is going to be and students have like a clear answer or a clear ask to your point um, students want more provincial leadership in this issue we want the province to be able to fund that money directly to the universities we know that our universities in the wake of a lot of these cuts don't have much money we know that these universities when they're being asked to by asked by students to free up the money to be able to keep our campuses safe to be able to lower these rates of sexual and gender-based violence they look at their budgets and they look at say for instance the university of 
of Alberta's budget that's already lost $220 million, um, had to have layoffs because of that, had to cut a huge number of programs. And they ask themselves, well, where's the funding going to come from? And so fundamentally, it's such a slog to be able to get that money on an institution to institution basis. And so we're trying to work with the province right now to make sure that the province can actually just give those funds because the province recognizes this is something that we need a degree of parity between all 26 institutions, that they all need to be able to provide comparable care and comparable prevention efforts for sexual and gender-based violence. That's a great point. Uh, we've, we've got a good one here as well uh, in the live chat. I appreciate this from Scott who says 30 years ago, sex culture didn't include the internet. Uh, Rochelle, how much, I mean, how, how has that changed the game? It, it might sound obvious to some people. Uh, we, we know that there are implications, well, in a whole bunch of ways. Let me let you answer the question. How do you perceive that comment? Yeah, I think obviously with the, the generation of learners that we're a part of and, you know, attending post-secondary in the depths of a pandemic and beyond that, there's there's so much culture that has developed online and in those sort of settings. And I think that we can see, the results of that also reflected in the data because sexual harassment doesn't have to be in person. You can receive comments via text message, DMs, those Zoom chat messages from your classmates. Like these can still occur. Um, and it, I, I feel like is where it almost becomes more accepted sometimes because it's just a quick, easy, let's send it and forget it kind of thing. Um, and so I think that with the discussion around consent and, and what sexual harassment is and what sexual and gender-based violence is, we can extend it to what it looks like in a virtual setting, in an online world that we're a part of as students now. Before I thank the three of you for your time, I'm wondering if there's anything else relating to this subject that we haven't touched on. If there's an important point to make or even a call to action for our audience, I want to make sure that, that we don't wrap this conversation up before we cover all of our bases. Project, maybe to you first. Uh, yeah, uh, honestly, the best call to action is uh, to tag the minister on how important this issue is, how students are currently suffering, and there's going to be students year by year that will be experiencing gender-based violence. And if we want to stop that, we need to bring the government's awareness to this topic and have them uh, create some action, create some support, give us that necessary funding that we need in order to reduce uh, the rates of gender-based violence. How about you, Chris? Talk to your MLAs. Um, if you see them around, if you're talking to members of the government, ask them how their government is showing leadership in their file, how this government is supporting institutions to reduce the violence that is happening on campuses. Because this government cares a lot about safety. This government cares a lot about students. So ask them that question um, and see what the answer is. Rochelle? I, I think that we all know a student or we were a student at some point and so i think being able to channel that and really going to your elected officials writing letters requesting for follow-up from them having those conversations making it apparent to the people that you elected into positions of power that this issue matters to you helps us move forward as student leaders to protect our students for, of the future good stuff hey <clears throat> a question along completely different subject lines we're talking about different generations uh, earlier in the show and airbnb and home ownership and whether or not the homeowners of tomorrow, so to speak, even give a rip about owning homes or whether that's even on their radar. Some people are saying that the 20-year-olds of today don't even care about owning cars. They don't even want to own a car. A lot of them aren't even getting their driver's licenses. Do any of the three of you, where, where would you prioritize homeownership on your goals over the next 15 to 20 years? If any of the three of you, is it a strong priority? 
I mean, I can answer this one. I've already started looking into a first home savings account and okay. things of those sorts uh, so that, you know, I can eventually own a home of my own, but I can also fully recognize the economical standpoint of my life and, and realize that it might be a few years down the line, but the goal is to eventually own a home. Okay. Okay. Chris, how about you? Uh, I don't know a single friend who like is confident in their pathway to getting a home. I think we all recognize if we read enough that like, the longer that we wait to enter the housing market and the more that the housing market increases in price above the rate of inflation, the harder it'll be to get in and to be like an entrant into that market. And so you talked a little bit earlier about how houses are usually people's largest investments. Students are watching that slip away more and more year over year. Um, and so if none of us have any idea how we're going to actually enter that market, there's clearly a problem there. And so like, I know there's been a ton of work that students have done and I'm, I'm really excited to you get to get to go to Prabhjit third because Prabhjit has been doing an incredible amount of work at Calgary City Council. But for us oh. here at Edmonton, at least, um, like I'll be talking in favor of the zoning bylaw renewal um, so that we can free up some density and some extra like developer, um, like development within the areas around the university so that we just have more supply so we can hopefully depress that cost and have students be able to enter the housing market. Okay. But Prabhjit is the one on this. Okay, I had no idea. Prabhjit, take it away. <laughs> yeah, uh, thank you, uh, Chris. Uh, it's been a large effort of uh, Calgary-based uh, universities uh, because during September, we were able to uh, get the victory of uh, changing our zoning bylaws and uh, changing regulations so we can get more affordable housing. As this year especially, uh, we saw um, our major campuses in Calgary, including Mount Royal, uh, have their residences filled up completely. Mount Royal's residence uh, filled up uh, for the first time in 10 years. And uh, we had nearly uh, 500 or more students on the wait list initially. And we've heard stories of students that are going to be sleeping in their cars. They're going to be sleeping uh, with multiple, multiple roommates in very small spaces. We've heard stories of students sleeping in conditions that are just inhumane of uh, a place like basements that are flooding, basements that are rotting uh, with uh, mice everywhere. Just we, we've heard deplorable stories of how students are suffering uh, with finding affordable housing. So for them, it's not even in their radar to own a house. They just want to find a place to live first, a place where they can be comfortable and place where they can have a, like have an education and then hopefully work in this city without worrying about if they're going to get kicked out or not. That's so very well said. Um, that's Prabhjit Graywall, Mount Royal University down in Calgary. Rochelle Preston joining us out of the University of Lethbridge. And Chris Beasley uh, joining us out of the University of Alberta. Don't go anywhere, you three. I want to I just like make you blush a little bit before you go. I always like people to hear the praise in the live chat. And I just wanted you to hear some of this. Tracy says, what an outstanding panel uh, with compassionate and committed leaders Great job. You are making a difference. Alexandra says, so great to see such engaged and passionate student leaders. If nothing else, it's awesome that students themselves are doing such good work. Tala says, it's great to see student leaders taking the lead on this topic. It's important that students feel safe on campuses and are supported through services and supports, which is is so well said as well. Uh, th that's just a few of the comments, but I want to thank all three of you for joining us and forming this week's edition of the Real Talk Roundtable. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend. Thanks so much, Ryan. Appreciate it. Yeah, you got it. Um, that's always impressive. Hey, like these, they're, they're like, I, I, was, I don't want to say kids. They're not kids, but like, they're like early 20s. I know. <laughs> so involved. And I love, they're like, you well, when we're say speaking that a few to council, times. when we're going to do this, and it's like, I'm like, what was I doing in, 
Well, no, actually, I was old. That was when I was hitting my you stride. Went, you went to say, you were like, relatively young. I was like, please don't call them kids, Ryan. They're not please. kids, but <laughs> I just realized I just realized how much older we are. But when you see hey, young people like this, <laughs> when you see young people like this, oh, it's, that are, they see an issue okay in front the of them, and they're, they're not going to just bitch about it. They're going to do something about mm-hmm. it. And they're lobbying government and they're appearing in front of city councils and they're taking. I was like, when are they studying? When are they finding time to study with all the work they're doing? That's incredible. I'm really impressed by those three. But we're in good hands. It's yeah. 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 I mean, it, it, it's it's it. They're they're uh, gut punch numbers. Fifty percent of people, half of university students will experience that. And I and I I, I could see people uh, in our chat talking about their personal experiences. I guarantee we're going to get emails about this. Um, they're the type of uh, experience. It's not. It, I mean, it's, it's an assault. It's a crime. It's 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 one of the worst things that can possibly happen to a human being. To call it an experience is an insufficient word. Mm. Uh, but people are traumatized by sexual assault, oftentimes for the rest of their life. And I've seen people m- making notes in here of how important it is to provide resources for people ahead of time. The education piece, teaching consent, teaching respect, teaching empathy, teaching you know, all of these things, you know, prioritizing public safety. So you don't have to hit cleanup. So you don't have to we come in it. with supports yeah. post assault. I mean, you got to have those supports. But so that's not where we focus all of our energy. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to look and, and, and try to find ways to create safer campuses writ large. We we didn't get that stuff when we were growing up. Like no. we didn't get, you know, we got the sex ed, the, the bare bones, but we never got like, you know, you should ask someone before you kiss them, you know, before you totally. put their, your hand on their backside. You should you should ask for consent. You should, you know, you shouldn't. And even then, I liked how you brought it up and it's not an excuse, but hey, talking about situations that you shouldn't put yourself like in, alcohol. right? Being with a friend when you go out and and you know you're gonna have a night where you drink a lot, but that's that's not an excuse to say that everyone should be you know thinking about a predator getting yeah. on them. But no, that's, but that's the world we're living. In. I was in a lounge the other night and I saw a gal. I don't blame her for doing this. It actually, but it made me sad. But it but it's also just a reality. And I bet you that half of our audience is gonna nod when they hear this because they do the same thing and they can relate. But I, we were in a lounge and and this lady was getting up to you know go use the washroom or take a phone call or whatever. And, uh, you know, she had a cocktail and she went and she put a she put a uh, like a, you know, the coaster, coaster yeah, on top of the, the class. Time. And then she just whispered to the lady at the table next. To her, and I don't know what she said, but my assumption is she said, like, can you keep an eye on my drink? hundred percent. It was a quick question. Whatever she whispered, the lady nodded and then she went her separate way. And I just thought, like, to, you know, just even that um, it's just brutal that people can't feel confident that their drinks not going to get drugged. When they go to take a phone call, you I know? was I should have told you this, and now I'm remembering it. But I told you I went out with three women the other. I think it was like three months ago. I just they came to an event I was at, and then we went to another club after together because they wanted to go somewhere that was hopping. I won't say the name of the club because I don't want to do that. Yeah. But you know, it was in a basement. It was it was not, it wasn't dingy, but it was you know we're talking like one thirty a.m. Everyone's sweaty. The music is up. All three of them did the same thing. Huh. They, they when they were at the bar and they were turning around and talking, they would throw coasters on their drinks. Yeah. And it just I'm staring at like they're having a good time and they would turn around and chat and dance. But they would all put a coaster on their drink. And I'm sitting there like it's like when the background fades away and the music goes down and I'm looking at the drinks and I'm like, this is the world we're living. It's in. It's kind of a gut punch. Right. And like people are scared to get 
drugged. Yeah, and for some people, it's getting drugged by a bartender. I'm, you know, and, and I was a bartender. I'm not cracking on all bartenders, but you know, you just you get the sense you see these horrific stories in the news, and it's like nobody's safe. I covered a. Why am I going here? I'm going to go here because it's real talk. You know, I covered a trial when I was working as a news reporter of, of a gal who was murdered down in Calgary. It's it's a horrific story. Um, they found her body in the river outside Nanton, Alberta, months after her disappearance. A horrific story. The guy on trial who was convicted, you know who he was? He was the doorman at the bar. And when her girlfriends were leaving, she wanted to stay. And the doorman said, I'll make sure she gets home safe. And he took her and he killed her. And it's just like you would think as a friend, especially as a young person, especially if you're a little drunk. And who knows? You're eager to get to the after party or you're going home with somebody or you're going to try to get curfew or whatever it is. You figure you can leave the person in the care of the doorman. Right. You figure you can leave them Mm -hmm. with club security. Right. And that was the last night that that girl ever saw me. She rest in peace. So, you know, you can never this isn't a fear factor thing. This isn't trying to whip people into. But this is just reality. You know, these are these types of things that we have to talk about. We appreciate you being here for the tough conversations. Hey, speaking of that. We were talking yesterday about National Depression Screening Day. Can you tee up the clip of me getting my quiz results? This was an unexpected moment on the show yesterday, if you missed it. And I wanted to follow up on it because I got some people sending me personal emails, which I appreciated. Everything's totally great. Everything's totally fine. But we did we did take part in like a uh, basically a, there's like a, a one. It? It's like it's like a one minute quiz. Not even. It's like a 45 second quiz. And the quiz is, uh, it was World Depression Screening Day, but you can do it all week. They're going to keep the quiz up, and it's areyoufeelingokay.com. Areyoufeelingokay.com gives you about 10 questions you can answer to just check in on your mental health. And so I did. And and on a whim, uh, spontaneously, I said, well, I'll just take the quiz on the show. And kind of here's how it wrapped up. This was the end of it. I'm clicking through here and, and trying to keep it as honest as I can. So I, I'll, I'll throw it out there. This show, we call it Real Talk. So let me feeling no interest in things. Not really. But that's that's just me. Feelings of worthlessness. I don't know. Sometimes doesn't everybody feel that? Thoughts about suicide. Lucky no, not for me right now. Difficulty concentrating all of the time. Okay, so let's see. I'm doing this live. Is this okay? Should I be doing this? Is this Absolutely. a mistake? Okay, I'm doing it live. I'm a 46-year-old male. Uh, I'm married. I heard about this test from the Calgary Counseling Center. And I live in Canada. Let's see what it gives me. All right, here we go. I scored 9 to 16. Symptoms consistent with a major depressive episode. Presence of a major depressive order disorder is possible. This is real talk, Sarah, right now. A complete evaluation is recommended. So what is, I answered these questions honestly. So what does somebody, And but I answered no. I answered none of, no and none of the time to thoughts of suicide. Um, okay. So that, but still look at this, my system's consistent with a major depressive episode, which I didn't expect, or I wouldn't have done it live on the show, but here we are. So what does somebody, (laughs) so what does somebody like me do now? So now it's about getting connected with resources. So you might actually need to be speaking to somebody that can walk you through this. It might be helpful to get some counseling to start. You might need an assessment to see if there's further, things that are intervening with your ability to be fully engaged in your life, but it's a starting point. So that was yesterday. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kind of an unexpected development. Well, it was unexpected because you hadn't taken the quiz beforehand, which sometimes you prep, you'll go do something then you'll be like, yeah, we'll do this live or whatever. But I was even surprised. I was like, did he know that this was going to pop up? A major depressive episode. No. And your face was like, wow. 
Like, well, because there's a, it's a moment of vulnerability, first of all, it, it, with, you know, 15,000 of my closest friends. But uh, but also I was glad. And as I thought, I was thinking about it all day, to be honest. And some friends were texting and things and some thought it was funny and some were concerned. And, you know, just, you know, I guess we call them. Wellness. Are you OK? Are you yeah. OK? I'm thinking, are you OK? And I said, I'm great. I'm fine. It's great. I, I, I you know, have been in touch with my therapist and it was a good reminder. But that's what everyone says. It's been a while. And and uh, anyway, so but I was glad that it happened. Mm. I was glad that it happened because it was this moment of of realness on the show. And and the whole point of this was to make sure that we light a fire under you and get you to take that test and, and start thinking about your own mental health. So we got follow up here. Um, and this is from Catherine from the Calgary Counseling Center. That's uh, our guest who was joining us as well. For, that was Sarah from the Calgary Counseling Center, Rosenfeld, Sarah Rosenfeld. But but Catherine reached out her colleague and said we were just so grateful for such an excellent conversation on the show she said it was wonderful to see you take the quiz live on the air uh she said but she did want to answer uh, there was a, a comment there were several comments in our chat and we got a couple emails about it as well some of you talking about cost barriers which is a very real thing to mental health supports and to counseling and Catherine wrote in just to let us know that the calgary counseling center and counseling alberta offers counseling with no wait list and no financial barriers so when you register for counseling, you'll be matched with a counselor within a few days, and then their fees are based on a sliding scale. So if you're lower income or if you're, you're in a bit of a financial rut or it's been a low point or maybe you're unemployed right now, um, your, your cost of counseling will either be zero or it's going to be uh, rated much less than somebody who's able to manage that cost at this time. Uh, counseling Alberta offers online counseling to anybody in Alberta and in-person counseling in Edmonton, Fort McMurray, Grand Prairie, Lethbridge, Medicine Hat, and Red Deer, which is great. So we're going to have those links in the show notes for your benefit. Calgary Counseling Center and Counseling Alberta, counseling with no wait list or financial barriers. And I was really glad about that. And I appreciate them following up. You can learn more about the Calgary Counseling Center by checking out calgarycounseling.com. We're going to get to trash talk in just a second, but I want to remind you that these conversations happen because Real Talk is supported by sponsors like our friends at Friesen Brothers. And they've got a couple amazing things coming up, including there's that Thanksgiving feast that I know a lot of people are going to be looking at. The Thanksgiving dinner box, you can still order it today. If you don't have a plan for Thanksgiving, you haven't even picked up the turkey yet. You don't know what's going to happen here. Well, the Thanksgiving Dinner box is back at Friesen Brothers. You can savor every bite of roasted turkey, roasted baby potatoes, all the fixins, roasted root veg, turkey gravy, cranberry sauce, their famous sourdough dinner buns. Plus, you can add on. You can add granny stuffing. You can add handcrafted pies. You name it. Just check out cateringbyfriesen.com or go see them in store. Now, unfortunately, they are sold out in Fort Saskatchewan and Fox Creek, but you can find them. I know. But that's a good thing. Yeah, well, I mean, it just means that a lot of people got their Thanksgiving figured out. Good on them. But Rabbit Hill, that's South Edmonton and Stony Plain, you can still order yours. 60 bucks per four people. That's $15 a person for a full pre-cooked Thanksgiving meal. Are yeah. you kidding me? Kimberly asking, what are you having, Johnny? Well, I'm having uh, a tofurkey that we got from Freezing Bros. Love it. I'm having a half pumpkin pie from Freezing Bros. Why do you always say the half pie? Just get a full pie, Johnny. Let me live my life. Calories. Okay, fine. We'll we'll get the full. You're already gonna get the full. You know what? You're gonna. Finish. We already got the half. I interrupted you. And a loaf of uh, sourdough. Of course, we're gonna put some 
with a ton of butter on it, okay? Butter, cranberry butter. sauce, tofurkey, <laughs> and, and a vegan gravy. Yeah. And you'll be having, don't forget the crack, fresh cracked pepper on Ooh. top. Hey, the fresh cracked pepper. You like it, a pepper? At the Masculine University is Canada's open university. And that's why tens of thousands of students trust their post-secondary education to AU. Uh, you can check out their website if you want to learn more at athabaskau.ca, but you want to see the numbers. I mean, this is like proof of performance. 95% of Athabasca University grads report that they're satisfied with the quality of their education. 95%. Same number of students would recommend AU to others, and 9 out of 10 of them say that they're working now currently in a job related to their field of study. Can you imagine if you could guarantee that 90% of graduates would be working in a field of their study. That is unbelievable, but it's one of the things, just one of the things that sets Athabasca University apart. You can learn more about how AU works. Get the application process started by checking out AthabascaU.ca. Our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy want you to know that they're hiring right now. They're always looking for installers. They're looking for salespeople. And a great way to connect with the team at Kubi is to visit them at the Edmonton Fall Home Show. That's coming up October 13th through 15th. The Kubi team is going to be at the Edmonton Fall Home Show with their booth where you can learn about all things solar, ask questions, get answers from dedicated professionals with decades of experience in the renewable energy industry. And if you're interested in installing solar in your home, their experts can give you an overview of the entire installation process from start to finish, including talking about some of the government incentives that are available to make sure that you feel confident when you're making the switch. You can start that conversation today at kubienergy.ca. This studio is built by the team at Complete Care Restoration. We've seen them work firsthand, and that's why we're proud to recommend them for any of your home or office renovation projects. If it's a new build that you're looking at, maybe new construction, or maybe you're one of those people that's turning around an office into condos, or maybe you're turning apartments into condos, or, or vice versa, or whatever the case may be. Maybe you're just developing your basement. You can learn more about why you should choose Complete Care Restoration by giving them a call or checking them out online. You'll find them there at completecarerestoration.ca. And don't forget, you can make them your first call in the unlikely but sometimes gut punch situation where you experience fire or flood damage. Nobody does it better than Complete Care Restoration. A shout out to our friends at Eden Landscaping. I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to have some photos for you next week. Our project, our backyard overhaul finished. Finally. This week. We're so excited about it. We want to see it. We had some key pieces that were coming in on the infrastructure side. So we're just. Oh, I don't mean it took a long time. I've just been. I'm so excited to see it. Johnny, I see. I get it. You're waiting for your invitation to the barbecue. I get it. I get it. Mike and his team did such a beautiful job with the install. But the part that really impressed me, to be honest with you, is the design process and that's what they're going to be doing through the fall and winter months with their existing customers and the partners that they're going to be building for next spring you've got your vision they can help you bring it to life they're great listeners you can start that process today by visiting eden landscaping online by checking out landscapeedmonton.ca you got big plans for thanksgiving you gonna take it easy Oh, yeah, we are going to relax like we have never relaxed before. Nice. We've, had, we've had kind of a stressful week, so we are going to... Yeah, and it's also a uh, shout-out to my partner, Jatinder. I love her. 
Seven years married this <gasps> Sunday. Yeah, our wedding anniversary. Fantastic. So, yeah. What's the uh, what's the gift uh, for seven years? Uh, she's gonna be listening, and now she's gonna. Right. Know. Okay. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. It's fine because it's never copper. Mind. You're, so you're she'll already never getting. Uh, it's, you're it's already copper. It's copper. Yeah. Which is what do I get her a bag of pennies or something? No, <laughs> no I think just the, aren't those aren't those the uh, the bowls? What are they called? There's like the bowls. I think they're they're from like uh, Mongolia or like Nepal or somewhere fantastic. They're they're these copper bowls, and then they come with a wooden. Stick and you like Damn it, you, you run the That's stick exactly you like I... circle the stick in the bowl and it <laughs> yeah. creates this hum. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like kind of she like would love that, people actually. that have the pink Himalayan salt well, lamps. Well, if I and get the... her it and she sees this, well, just cut this part out of the show. Okay, just cut this part out of the show. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Every Friday, uh, per tradition, we give you a chance to to blow off a little steam. We give you a little chance to say what needs to be said. Right? This is a tradition we call trash can we got one here from Alex who says, honest question. Uh, when it came to that Nazi that was celebrated in the House of Commons, are you aware of any MPs who did not stand for the ovation? Like, were there cameras on everybody? If there was anybody who didn't applaud, they were sure hard to see. I, it looked like all of them did. I was shocked, says Alex, that a significant number of them didn't clue in and think, wait a second, he fought the Soviets in World War II? Uh, the Soviets were our allies. Doesn't that mean he fought with the, yeah, the Nazis? Alex says, I'm by by no means a history expert, but that's rather basic history. He said, I haven't even heard it mentioned, by the way, that Vladimir Zelensky uh, is Jewish. But that's also important to note. It just makes this whole disaster even worse, says Alex, who's absolutely right. This from David. David says, can we please talk about why conservatives are creating noise and distractions around non-issues like the LGBTQ community, groomers, pedophiles, books, libraries, getting rid of you know, canceling books they don't like so you won't notice them, downgrading education and shifting your kids into the workforce as cheap labor. It's happening in the U.S. It can happen in Canada, just like all the other shit storms that have slowly washed over the border. That from David, who's telling us to keep an eye out. Gerald says to me, talk about this Alberta pension plan that's being missed. A lot of people have worked in Alberta oil, but then they've retired elsewhere. So yeah, the draw from the rest of Canada appears to say Alberta's a net contributor, but that's because there's a lot of people drawing uh, from the pension that left Alberta when they hit that point in their life. Why are we talking about this, wonders Gerald? Interesting point, Gerald. How about this one from Lindsay, who says, Ryan, she starts off with an olive branch, Johnny. It's a bit of a shit sandwich, but she starts off with an olive branch. She says, I just want to start off by saying how much I love listening to Real Talk. Thank you, Lindsay. She says, you do an excellent job in bringing both sides to the table. I have to say, though, there was one comment of yours that really pissed me off. You were interviewing a guest on your show about that, that, that march for children the million march for children and you were talking about how sad it is and how like teachers and leaders and mentors are being verbally attacked and she says i agree she says i don't remember who the guest was i think she's talking about the alberta mayors like kathy heron and trina jones and tyler gandam by the way gandam the new president of alberta municipalities congratulations to him he won the election yeah the studio audience loves that stuff but Lindsay says i don't remember so you're talking your guest said she was sad by the amount of hate spewed on both sides. And she said it was hard to even tell which side was which because everybody was yelling at each other. And then you said, Ryan, I know how to tell. Just just ask them who's got their COVID booster shots and you'll be able to tell what side they're on, <laughs> which I actually thought was a really good joke, by the way. And then she says, uh, Lindsay, this comment did not sit well with me, Ryan, uh, because you made the conversation about vaccines instead of the children, right? Like, maybe you are right in knowing what side vaccinated people are on, or maybe you're wrong, but it just made me start thinking about vaccines instead of what the conversation was really supposed to be about. So, anyway, like I said, says Lindsay, here's the shit sandwich part. Here's the other piece of bread. (laughs) 
I love listening to your show. I love getting fired up about issues, so I'm going to continue to listen. She says, I listen during my warm-up and my cool-down and my run, so keep up the good work. Lindsay, I hope you hear this while you're running today. Thanks for contributing. This from Michelle, who says, there's another application, everybody, by Northback Mines, formerly Banga. They want to explore mine and invade the eastern slopes of our Rockies or any part of southern Alberta to explore coal and mining and other industrial development. Our headwaters and our lands are not for sale, says Michelle. We made this abundantly clear after former Minister Savage rescinded the longstanding coal policy. And despite public outcry, the government persists. Albertans en masse want no part of coal mining and the, the destruction that comes along with it. This summer was marred by drought, wildfire, air quality warnings, and missed opportunities. I like how she put that. She says, this is a chance to protect the province that we profess to love, to speak for the people that we live alongside. Uh, Albertans are beyond concern for our province, our environment, our climate, and our future, and our elected officials must act in our best interests, not in the best interests of the mining companies. That from Michelle, who signed off, by the way, most sincerely. I like that one. Okay. And this one from Lindsay to take us into the Thanksgiving weekend. She says, you know what really grinds my gears, Jespo? People and their leaf blowers. Like, seriously. What is there like some sort of secret leaf blowing competition I don't know about? It's like they're auditioning in my neighborhood for leaf blower of the year. What really takes the cake is when these leaf blowing enthusiasts are using these superpower machines to blow all their pesky leaves onto my lawn. This sounds like a bit of a neighbor issue here with Lindsay. And her <laughs> she says, like, she says, like, I get it. Leaves are a pain in the butt to deal with. But let's not pretend like blasting them into my yard is a solution. It's like trying to clean your house by shoving all your clutter under my bed. And the best part, they're always doing it with this innocent, like, oh, I'm just doing my fall cleanup look on their faces. Like they're performing some sort of public service. I've seen your leaf piles making their way onto my lawn, like leafy invaders plotting to take over my kingdom. I love this, Lindsay. She says, so here's a thought. How about we all agree to keep our leaves on our own lawns and spare our neighbors from your leaf tire tyranny? It's time to end the great leaf migration. That from Lindsay. <laughs> I don't know if Lindsay won trash talk today. She did pretty good. I like that. The great leaf migration. You can send us your trash talk by, uh, well, clarifying in an email. Subject line, trash talk to talk at ryanjesperson.com. These are all real messages received from real talkers just like you. We wish you all a very happy Thanksgiving long weekend. We're going to take the Mondays with our families. Johnny's got wonderful anniversary plans in store oh, yeah. for JC. I just Thank can't you, wait sir. to hear all about all the amazing things that you did for yeah. your beautiful Thank bride. You very much. And we'll be back. Much love to both of you, Johnny, and to the rest of you that make Real Talk part of your weekly routine. Thanks for liking us on episodes on YouTube. Thanks for subscribing to our podcast wherever you find it, rating it, reviewing it, and telling your friends. We'll talk to you again soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook-Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's Editorial Board is Supriya Dubetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Ori Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta, on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, 
Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.